We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, here we go. So to NBA Nation on this Tuesday afternoon, another edition of the NBA Report. On today's show, we're going to take a look, a look back at NBA free agency, man, and the fallout from free agency, man. Lots of big contracts. And has the middle class been vanished? Has, has it been banished? From the league, man. A lot of controversy over that and, and a hot topic right now around the uh, the social media waves. Plus, we'll go around the league. We'll touch on the latest news and rumors around the NBA. So, lock in with us, man. Hit that like button. Hit the share button and subscribe to the channel. CP the Franchise here. Alex Fataros on the other side. And special guest. He covers the NBA business from uh, for the Athletic. And it's Mike Varkinoff, man. An old friend who covered the Knicks on the Knicks beat joins us today, man. So lock in. We got a great show. Let, let's get into it, man. Mike, how you feeling, man? I'm good. I'm happy to be back. Been a while. Yeah, a- absolutely, man. Happy to have you on the show. Uh, we, we were just talking before we went live about a stellar FIBA-friendly matchup that I was watching all night. In terms of the USA versus Puerto Rico, one seventeen to forty three. Then I went live for post game. You know, I can't get enough yeah. basketball, man. It's, it's August eighth. I went live post game at one fifteen a.m. Eastern time to uh, to recap and break the whole thing down, man. I had the U.S. minus eighty, so I guess I lost my bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it was it was an interesting game. Um, you know, obviously U.S. kind of came out the gates a little bit slow. They started with Brunson. Uh, Anthony Edwards, uh, Macau Bridges, Brandon Ingram, and uh, Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr. A little slow first half, but second half, you know, they they once they asserted their their talent into this thing, it, there was pretty much no answer from uh, from Puerto Rico, man. Not at all. How did Brunson look? Brunson was all right. He led the team in rebounds. So, you know, they've tapped him already as the captain of the team. He's the leader of the team, Captain America, as I call him. 12 rebounds. To go along with 11 points, missed a couple bunnies, missed a couple open jumpers. But second half, you know, he got into his Brunson bag, started dominating in the paint and uh, got into a little bit of, of, of a rhythm. And then defensively as a team, they, uh, you know, they, they just overwhelmed Puerto Rico in the second half and ran away with it. Uh, CPL, I, mean, I don't. Sorry, go out. No, I, I was just going to say, CPL, I was surprised, uh, you know, with how good uh, Brunson looks when you have guys who, uh, you know, can move the ball around. Uh, there's some more spacing. Yeah. And, uh, 
It's just not heavy isolation from all the time. Oh, my God. The Knicks fans were out in droves. Oh, Tibbs needs to run this offense. Look at Brunson in this offense. Look at Brunson only playing 22 minutes. Look at Tibbs. He's running him into the ground. I'm like, people, we, we got to slow down here and put things in proper perspective. All right? This is the USA Select team. The Knicks do not have anywhere near the roster that this team has, nor the coaching. Let's just pump the brakes and just, you know, enjoy him playing with, with great players here. Yeah, things are a little different for Team USA, even this B team or whatever, than they are with the Knicks. You know, like yeah. it's not—it's not apples to apples here. Yeah, it, it's, it's. You're telling you, you're telling me we don't have a Tyrese Halliburton as a backup point guard on the team? I, I mean, I like Quick. I like—I love Quick. You know, I, I love mm. Quick. But Halliburton seems to be the guy. Halliburton was running and gunning in transition last night. He was looking. Oh yeah, good, but he was coming off the bench. To, yeah, let's keep that in perspective. Yeah, too. he was backup. Pacers so fans yeah. out there. Relax. Right. Pacers fans, slow your roll. He's second fiddle to Captain America, Jalen Brunson. But yeah, Halliburton looked all right last night. Um, how about Trey Young? Trey Young stirring up the pot a little bit. Says, I should have been on that team. I don't know, Mike, what do you think about that, man? I mean, Trey Young can feel how he feels. I, I think that Team USA is just fine without him. I'd rather have Brunson. I'd rather have yeah. Halliburton. Um, you know, I thought the interesting thing was, I, I think he said it, uh, that he just wants to be in a position where he doesn't have to score all the time. He can set up. We've never seen that from Trey Young, right? You know, like ever in his right. NBA career. So I, I'm just a little dubious that all of a sudden he gets to Team USA and he changes exactly who he is as a player. So like, he's got to be able to buy in and show that at some point. I, I see why Team USA didn't want him on the team. Yeah, Al, what'd you what'd you think about that? I mean, we've seen the controversy out of Atlanta too, right? Between him, Nate McMillan, the, and everything else down there, even with some teammates, you hear a little bit of like rumbling. And sometimes where there's smoke, there's actual fire. So, you know, if you're if you're a coach and you see all of that happening down in Atlanta, you would probably be like, I'm okay looking in a, a different direction. I don't want to bring that to Team USA. Now, that doesn't mean that Trey is a bad person or anything like that or is like the cause of those issues. But when you hear stuff like that, I tend to look the other way. But I like what yeah. I'm seeing from Jalen Brunson. I mean, look, Jalen Brunson, two good seasons. You know, I, I saw I saw a comment out there where uh, – actually, it was Dexter. I saw on Dexter's feed where he was having a discussion mm -hmm. on another pod where, uh, you know, who's who, who would you have, Brunson over uh, Trey, Trey Young? And he said Brunson. And there was a little bit of pushback. And I was like – one of the responses was, uh, you know, Trey went to an Eastern Conference Finals. I was like – Brunson went to a Western Conference. How is that the rationale? <laughs> do we not see what he did to Donovan Mitchell too? Oh, okay, let's relax over here. He's just as good, man. Yeah. Just uh, as I mean, look, I think you, you got to take fit into consideration when, you put, when you're assembling these teams. It's not just about the, the best offensive players or the best these guys. You need fit. You need versatility. You need leadership. You need size. It's a much more physical game, as a lot of these guys have been stating now. You're playing a much more physical game in FIBA, and you're playing teams who you look at, you know, Lithuania, Latvia, all the France, especially Spain. All these guys have chemistry with each other, man. And so that's why the USA, especially when they don't come with their, their A-plus team, they have a little bit of trouble competing here. So I don't necessarily mind leaving Trey off the team. You know, we'll we'll see how uh, how this team looks going forward. But it's it's all sour grapes, man. It, it's all and, sour grapes. And the last thing I'll say is like you hear from my Grant Hill, they wanted to go younger, and I think we've been seeing that with FIBA as well, where it's just it's a starting process, right? Maybe this is like the training for guys who are going to be part of the Olympic team. Yeah, you start getting them in there early. 
getting familiar with one another because then the next when you have the Olympics coming up, these could be the same guys and they're more prepared than just getting them fresh out of the gate. Yeah, yeah. true, true, true indeed, man. Now, on free agency, Mike, we've seen a lot of big deals come across the wire. Obviously, nothing bigger than Jalen Brown's five-year, $304 million deal, the Supermax with the Celtics. Uh, Anthony Davis uh, kind of eclipsing that in terms of annual salary with his extension with the Lakers. Uh, you wrote a piece uh, just a, a couple days ago for The Athletic covering this you know, what did you, how did you react to a lot of these deals? I know from a fan perspective, every reaction is overpay, overpay, overpay. But you, you had, you wrote a couple of pieces on the athletic on, on how we should be viewing these contracts and where things are going moving forward. Yeah. Look, my first reaction was like everybody else is like, like, damn, that's a lot of money, right? Like $300 million potentially is just, it's a lot. It would be like the 13th largest contract that any pro sports a U.S. pro sports player has agreed to. Uh, so it is exactly a lot of money. And it's just one of the things my brain has had to adjust to as well. It's like there's just so much money coming into the league now uh, that salaries are rising and so quickly uh, that we all have to kind of get used to what these new parameters are, what these new um, what, what these numbers mean, right? Like we can't just look at them as just raw numbers anymore. A $20 million player is not who you thought it was anymore, right? Like a $20 million player is just kind of a starter at this point. It's not one of the like really good players, maybe an all-star level guy. Um, you know, 35% of the cap is now regularly going to be $50 million a year, right? This is all a reflection of all the money that's coming into the league, all the revenues that it has. The players, as we know, get, you know, roughly 50% thereabouts. So the league is doing well, the players are doing well, but it's a, it's a lot of money that people are going to start to be making. Like, Dame's going to make 60 mil soon. Jokic, 60 mil soon. I think Cat at the end of his contract is going to make 60 mil. Steph gets right about there. Like, we're going to have to get used to guys uh, with salary starting with sixes and sevens by the end of the decade and probably more. That's just crazy to even think about from where it was. Like, I still remember the Mozgov contract. I was like, that's insane. And now we're just. But, the, but that was a 2016 situation, right? Yeah. Right. That was Nothing counts about 2016. Yeah. But still, like to see the the increase in salaries from 2016 to now, we're not even at the 10 year point. You know what I mean? And it's just it's just crazy. Um, but Mike, you know the the issue now with like you see the larger scale contracts, right, for the the high end players. But now you're going to see a lot of like mid level exception type money for everyone in between. What what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, look, everyone's going to start making more. The average NBA salary, I don't have the exact number off me, but it's like it's up to roughly $10, $11 million, right? Like that's the average. So it's, you know, it's not not from the median, but every everybody's money is going to come up. You know, the the, uh, the mid-level is was about $12 million this year, somewhere thereabouts. Like it, it also is now a larger percent of the cap. I think they put up to about 9.5% in the new CBA. And that kind of is level setting for guys when they hit free agency, when they sign extensions. And I'm really curious. Like, I think people are just going to start locking in bigger contracts and not hitting free agency because their teams are going to have to, you know, re-sign their own guys because they don't have as much flexibility in free agency and to make trades. And, and that'll probably bump up contracts a little bit too. So we're going to have to get used to more guys making 15 mil a year, 20 mil a year. Um, I, I think the effects of this are going to still be seen, but I'm curious to see where it all goes. Yeah, absolutely, man. I want to get to this this Austin Rivers um, comment where he talked about the the, the CBA and, and really kind of 
took these guys to task when, when he was talking about it. And, and in terms of the shrinking uh, middle class in the NBA. So I want to play this Austin Rivers comment and then uh, and then get your take on it. Give me one second. Let me just uh, pull it up here. So to everybody in the chat, hit that thumbs up button for you boys. We get this Rivers comment here. Okay, here it is. Oh, I got it on mute. Okay, let me unmute this. Okay, here's Rivers. It's, it, it's a privilege. And if you were a free agent, then you could choose where you, you were going to go. Right. That's the business. Yeah. But when you're not and you sign a deal, man, that's part of the business, bro. If you get traded somewhere, like, you got to go play, man. You know what I mean? Like, for sure. The whole, and this started with like James and Ben and all these guys doing this. Shit. It's bad for the league. This is why our CBA deal that we just signed, and I don't even want to get heavy into that. That thing is, don't even get me started right. on that deal that we got going because it's top heavy. That's why you're seeing all these teams right now with, you either make 50 million or two. It, yeah. It's the most lopsided contract teams. I, I mean, it, it's a joke, bro. I can't tell you how many mid-level guys are signing for vet minimum around the NBA. It's it's laughable. Yeah. Um, so, so what do you think about that, Mike? So Austin Rivers, we'll get to to his his Lillard stuff a little bit later. But in terms of the the shrinking middle class in the NBA, Kevin Garnett also came out thinking the same thing that because of this big deals, it's either you're a max guy or you're a minimum guy. What, what do you think about that? Well, all right. So it's funny. I've I've actually been talking to some people from the players union about this. Obviously, like they're part of the people who negotiated the, this latest CBA. Uh, for one, I don't think it's going to be true. I think it is definitely true that a lot more teams are going to try to get under that second apron, get under that first apron probably too, right? We've had – see, this is all complicated. So we've had like over the last decade roughly about three teams per year over that second apron, right? What would be $183-ish million coming up for this season. That's not a lot of teams. And I think right. a lot of teams will try to make sure that they stay under that. Um and I think a lot of teams will try to stay under the first apron too. And they'll still, you know, we, we, we haven't had a lot of teams pay the tax every year either. I think one, it's too early to tell, like we've had one summer of the new CBA, right? right. Like if you're just trying to figure this out, one, one off season is not going to tell us whether the middle class is dying. Uh, I also don't think it's true because teams are still going to need to resign all these guys. Like if, if nobody's going to, or if few people are going to go hit free agency and try to resign through extensions as the new CBA is trying to make it easier to do, they're not going to do it by just taking the minimum every time or by taking under uh, market contracts, right? Then, then they might just take their chances. And so I, I think it's maybe more just griping that some vets, some guys who are later on in their contracts won't be able to maximize their earning window into their mid 30s. And so maybe you'll see kind of guys going out of the league earlier than they do. You know, maybe in their mm -hmm. early, uh, their mid thirties, maybe their early thirties, and they would in their late thirties. But I, I still have to see where this is all going, and I, I think one off season is way too early to tell. Like, and anything that happened before this off season, that's the old CBA, and you had you were playing under different rules. Yeah, and I think one of, one of the guys who has a gripe could be Austin Rivers himself, who, who right now is jobless, unfortunately. And, yeah, and what did he get the last two off seasons? Right, yeah. it wasn't a lot of money. Yeah, And it wasn't the CBA to blame. And so, you know, like Austin, I've actually, I loved when he was a Nick because he was one of the few Knicks who would talk. Yeah. Uh, I love him wherever he's gone because, again, he he talks a lot. And that, like, as a media member, I love it, please. Um, <laughs> but, like, the contracts that he's been getting the last few years are a reflection of what the league thinks of him, right? Like, that's yeah. not a reflection of the CBA. But I do think it's interesting how this all goes, like where this goes three years down the line, four years into this new CBA 
And if this does turn out to be true, like that was one of my thoughts too when it got signed is like, are we going to see the erosion in the middle class? Because we've seen that in baseball. Uh, we've seen that in football, the NFL, the last few years, just kind of like teams hunting efficiency with their dollars and mm. how they give out contracts. And that means either you're going to pay the Mac uh, or you're going to start trying to find all these guys. But the NBA is just a little bit different, right? Like when the rookies come in, they're just not as valuable because they can't produce right away that they do in baseball and in the mm. NFL. Uh, it takes them longer to be kind of contributing players to good teams. And there's a cap on how much you can give the best players. It's just 30 or 35%. Like there's no yeah. movement there as there is in the NFL and as there is in baseball where there is no salary cap. Um, so I think the dynamics in the NBA are just a little bit different too. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree in that. I think it's too early to tell, right? Because you still have a lot of guys on the contracts during the previous CBA, and this was just one year free agency. Now, for the those top-heavy teams, the Suns, the Clippers, the Warriors, I mean, maybe that situation applies because they do have, you know, three max contract guys, and, and uh, you know, they kind of stretch thin. But for the rest of the league— Four I max mean, contract guys. Four, right? But for the rest of the league— you know, you, you still had situations where you had teams that had to meet the salary cap floor. And with the new CBA mm -hmm. restrictions, if you don't meet that, you know, that that leftover money gets distributed across the league. If you don't meet that by the, the first day of the regular season and there's other implications there. So teams have the non-spenders have incentive to now spend. You saw Bruce Brown get it, get a mega deal. You saw uh, Fred Van Fleet get his deal. You know, guys are still getting their money, but it just may not be with the contenders at, at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. And, and those are the teams that, you know, like in the last few years, when a team had money uh, coming into the offseason, had cap space, that was one of the bad teams. It wasn't a contender, right? Like the good teams have been operating over the cap teams for the last few years. So when you're going into free agency, it was Charlotte that had that money. It was Detroit that had the cap right. space. It was Houston that's been really bad for a few years that had the cap space. So, like, that just is how teams are operating. Will that change in the future? I, I truly, honestly don't know. I'm going to be interested to see how that goes, too, is, like, will cap space be more valuable now? Maybe. I, I don't really know. Um, but I think we're going to have to get used to the new dynamics of this whole CBA. And, and even the most painful parts are kicking in next summer, not even this summer. I guess for my thing too, like when you talked about when you talk about how the contracts and the money will be distributed, I'm thinking about more of like the middle teams too, right? That don't necessarily have a superstar, and you then will probably see more. Couldn't you potentially see more of like what we saw with Brown, right? Where he's going to get a deal like that, and you know, let's say you don't have like a Tyrese Halliburton on the team, or you don't have uh, you know someone like Jalen Brunson who could potentially be making more money in the future. Let's say, like, I'm trying to think of a good team right now that would give you that example, but could you say, let's say Portland, let's say they get rid of Dame. Like, isn't that a team then where you could essentially give out a lot of these middling contracts because no one's really proven themselves yet, and that couldn't that be a good portion of the league too? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Like, what happens when Detroit and has all their guys hitting, right? Um, you know, kind of free agency or up for extensions? Years. You just saw Isaiah Stewart get 16 mil a year, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's a pretty middle-class contract nowadays, right? Based on where the max and the minimum are. Um, we'll see what like Jalen Duren gets in a few years. Uh, Bogdanovich got, I think, 19 mil yeah. last off season. So I, I think it's just maybe the types of teams that give out these contracts is different. Um, you know, the Knicks obviously sign a bunch of guys in that kind of middle-class range, even whenever the Josh Hart contract finally goes through, I assume he'll be somewhere in that 15 to 20 range, whatever the final number ends up at. Um, 
and even the Jalen Brunson contract last summer was not a max contract, right? It was kind of in that upper quartile, upper upper 10% type of kind of deal. Uh, I, and I think that we'll still see a lot of teams give out those contracts. It's just maybe it just comes from different places or maybe it's just veterans who are unhappy with the landscape and just, you know, kind of griping about it publicly. I don't know what KG was saying. I saw his tweet saying yeah. that, that's it. Like you're getting two or 50, yeah, but that's it. Uh, it's just not true. Like, yeah. It's just, that's the fact. Yeah, it didn't seem so. I mean, look, you still have interesting examples like Malik Beasley. He didn't have a good postseason at all or even a second half with the Lakers. Didn't have a good run, but he went from making, you know, 15 to having to settle for for the vet minimum with the Bucks at around two. And Christian Wood still out there. Not a good defensive player, but offensively can certainly help teams with his shooting and, and force spacing. But he's looking at a vet minimum with the Lakers. And so yeah. it's just interesting. But then on the flip, you got a guy like a Joe Ingles who didn't have a great year with the Bucks, but still managed to get to Orlando for $11 million, But he's he's getting the, the team option, right? And Bruce Brown, he's getting right. the, the one plus one. So you still have that flexibility there with, with some of the, you know, the, the bottom feeders, if you will. Yeah, and you saw like Rui Achimura just get about $17 mil a year from the Lakers, right? Like this is a guy who just got traded for four seconds in the middle of the season. Um, so these are all these guys that are making that kind of mid-tier money um, and they're valuable to teams because you want to lock in those cap numbers, right? You want to lock in those contracts so you can trade them down the line because that's going to be your new way uh, of changing your roster because just going into free agency, unless you get really far under the cap, is not going to be available to you if you're a good team. So I think that players also have some leverage now to get better extensions too. It's not just that the cap is squeezing them. It's like, hey, if, if you're the Celtics and in future years, you want to keep spending to keep your team in place, like, how are you going to replace Robert Williams if you allow him to leave, right? Like, you got to give him the money. How are you going to replace Kristaps Porzingis in a few years yeah. if, if that works out, right? You got to pay him. Um, same thing, you know? So, like, I, I think teams will have the leverage because the downward trends of the CBA, but I think players will have some too because if you're a good team and you're over the apron or you're near the apron, the only way you're getting good players is by keeping the ones you have because replacing them is going to be really difficult. The more, the more <clears throat> we talk about this, the more I think about more i think that this va we're just going to see more parity in the league where you're going to have your teams with like the superstars and everyone else is just going to be competitive fighting for you know spots maybe six through ten and trying to get that play in and then we're just going to see it'll be interesting right because you see you just mentioned joe ingles going down to orlando right and you i'm thinking about players like that where you know if you're not going to get the money necessarily like on a team like Golden State, where they had Dante DiVincenzo, right? Where you could say that's overkill for the, the depth that they have. Now you're creating more parity because those guys that they want to get paid, they're going to have to go to a smaller market team like Indiana, like Orlando. And next thing you know, when you get a good player like that, even if it's a solid role player, it's going to raise the ship a little bit, right? And you're, you're going to create more of a competitive league. So the more that we talk about it, I think that's, I think maybe that's more the direction that we're going to see around here, where it could be guys like Bruce Brown saying, you know what? I could go win a championship, but I like what I did with playing with Indiana. And you know what? Maybe next time I'm going to go play with Detroit. And after that, I'm going to go play with Orlando because that's where I can get my money and then just, you know, still have a competitive team year in and year out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bruce Brown got paid a lot more. Like, I, I talked to the Pacers GM about it last month. Like, he basically admitted we overpaid him because that was the way we had to get him, right? Mm -hmm. Like, D'Angelo Russell got, what do you get, 19 million a year or something like that? Like, probably more than he deserved because of the quality of play he had last year. So I think we'll still see guys get paid. Um, 
to your point, the league wants parity. Is that good? Bad? I don't know. Uh, I have some thoughts about it, but like, that's definitely where they're trying to go. Well, once again, we're talking to Mike Vorkanoff, who covers the NBA business beat for the athletic, formerly of the Knicks beat. So to everybody in the chat, once again, hit that like button, hit that thumbs up button for you boys. Uh, shout out to the chat, man. The rhyme animal Chuck D is in here. Uh, Jay from Puerto Rico has joined us, man. Shout out to Jay from Puerto Rico. They were looking for him in the Knicks fan TV chat last night after mm. the USA uh, routed his boys from Puerto Rico, man, 117 to, uh, to 74. They didn't think uh, Jay from Puerto Rico was going to show himself but he is here so salute to him we got jay boogie in here aaron d salute my two cents how you feeling will latimer the whole gang is here shout out to tmjj as well uh mike on your on your piece for your most recent piece in the athletic you talked about um the with the new media deal how it has a potential to double the previous my question is if the the new cba prohibits the salary cap from increasing by more than 10% each year. Once the new media deal comes into play, where would that surplus of money, how would that get distributed if the cap is only going up by 10% each year? That's a good question. Um, I assume, you know, there's kind of a difference between revenues, like cash on hand and the way it gets distributed into the, into the cap. Um, they obviously want to avoid what happened that, you know, Tim, Timothy Mozgov summer. <laughs> Bismarck Biombo got a huge bag, man. man. Robin Lopez, all these guys, man, cashed out. Luol Deng. Luol Deng. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all those guys, two years in, all those contracts got waived and stretched right away. Yeah. Um, you know, like, that's actually a good question. I should probably ask about that. But my, my assumption is some of that money is going to go into escrow, mm. right? Uh, mm. We see that happen with players now where some of their checks get taken out, put into escrow just in case. You know, let's say there's too much spending and they have to give some of the money back. We see 10% put into escrow and then put, you know, giving back to the players after the financial auditing is done. So we could see something like that. You know, I, I think they'll just be able to like more distribute it over a number of years in terms of how that goes to actual basketball spending. But I, it's not as if teams are going to have to wait to get all that money, like in terms of, you know, the, the cash that they will get from all these TV rights deals. I, I think they'll still get their money right away, right away, right on time. It's going to have a, a lag when it hits. Uh, the players and it affects the salary cap. As far as the, the players in the market, there's been talks like MB, NBC is trying to jump back into it. Have you heard anything as far as that? Like any of the new players outside of your ESPN, Disney's, and and uh, and Warner? Is Amazon trying to jump into the fray with Prime? Like, what are you hearing as far as that? Yeah, you know, I, I dug into it a little bit. I wrote a big piece on the just kind of meteorite stuff that ran in May, and so my read of the situation is. I think Warner and ESPN will probably still get parts of the NBA packages or, or they'll have their own individual packages. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's fewer games on cable um, when this new deal kicks in. I think the league wants to be more visible, right? You see it in the local media stuff right now where like the Jazz and the Suns are going to be on free TV because they want to increase their visibility. I think the league wants to do that nationally too. So maybe some more games on say like ABC and maybe a fewer windows on ESPN. Uh, maybe a fewer windows on TNT. So one night instead of two, you know, I've heard NBC is interested. I, I've heard that they've already floated to the league that if they are able to get an NBA package, they bring back round ball rock. So, right. Nice. Yeah, John yeah. in our house Absolutely. Absolutely. Every week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I think it has to be a part of this. You're bringing back to. NBC. You got to yeah. have round ball rock. Yeah. I don't know if you put Isaiah and Pat Riley back on TV, but that's, that's a different <laughs> situation. Um, but I, I think the assumption is it's going to be streaming at some point. The question is like, where you know yeah. uh warner brothers discovery 
is going to start streaming on Max with with its sports rights. I'd mm. probably do that with baseball or hockey first. Um, obviously, ESPN has ESPN Plus, so I assume some games will go on there. Mm. I, I think Amazon or Apple will try to get into it. And really, this is kind of might be the differentiator in terms of just how much money the league gets in these media rights deals is how many of their games they're willing to put onto streaming, how many games they're willing to put behind these subscription uh, sites, whether it's ESPN, whether it's Apple, whether it's Amazon, like the more games they're willing to put onto streaming behind a subscription, I think the more money they get. So that's what they're going to have to weigh. Like how many games do we want available for people just to watch whenever we can on TV versus how many games are behind the subscription somewhere. Uh, and the more games beyond that subscription, the more money they get. And that I don't know how to answer. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's very rare that you see sports teams and sports leagues turn down more money if they can, but we'll see where the league is going with it. Mike, I'm just curious. So if, if more games are, if you get more games behind a subscription, right, isn't that more, would it, would it all be, would you still be able to get all of the games through that one subscription, like let's say if it's Apple, right? Do you get all the games or would it be certain games or, or do you have to keep going back and forth? Because if it's, if you don't get every single game on like one platform, I can see that being a deterrent to people who are fans of the league where it's like, why do I got to go pay for a subscription over at Apple? Why do I got to go to Amazon now to go see this game? And, and could that even hurt the revenue uh, for the league in that aspect? Well, I mean, that's a legit question, right? Like that's just kind of what we're seeing with sports everywhere now. Just like, just, TV content anywhere now. You got to subscribe to like five different apps to get the shows that you want. Yeah, uh, I, I just, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, you know, like I missed the cable bundle. Like, bring yeah. it back, please. I never thought I would say that. Um, but yeah, that that's a question for them. Is you know, I think one thing they're interested in is having like one universal home for all their games. You know, maybe it, even the, like the NBA app itself, and then being able to kind of like use that as a funnel for people to go see their games and figuring out the distribution money and the distribution rights to all the different places that have the ability to broadcast those games. So, you know, like, let's say one game's on ESPN, like you said, one game's on Amazon, like I can go watch it all through the NBA app. And then the NBA figures out how to split up that money between ESPN and Amazon down the line as part of their negotiations. But that's a real concern. Like if I have to get ESPN plus, if I have to get max, if I have to get Apple TV, like that's a lot of money you're putting down on top of the NBA app. If you want uh, out of market stuff, if you want to get leak pass, like that's a legit thing. That's a real barrier. I think to people watching basketball games and, and that's just kind of where we're at with media right now. This is why I think they, you know, the NBA wanted to get out of the CBA that it was under before mm -hmm. this season. Cause they want to have a CBA in place that can account for all these different media situations that they're about to encounter. And so I don't know how the league is going to deal with that, but people have subscription fatigue. I think that's real. And just like yeah. the league is going to have to figure out how to encounter that. The only one that has is basically the NFL because their games are on weekends and they're always on broadcast TV and they'll throw one bone to Amazon Thursday nights and the rest is they're good. I think they're playing it well, man, because I, I agree with you. I think subscription fatigue is definitely a real thing. And by the time you add up <laughs> all of them, you're back to paying cable bundles when you, when you factor in your internet as well. So, I mean, and it's, it's, it's one of the things that turned me off even with the Yankees because, you know, I'm older school. I'm used to just turning on the TV, go on Yes!, occasionally it might be on uh the channel nine and channel 11 occasionally yeah but now last year you look on you can't find it on yes you can't find it on uh on nine it's on amazon it's on it's on apple tv it, it just turned me off man so i just say you know i'll just check the score <laughs> and uh that that's pretty much it man 
Yeah, no, I think that's legit. Like baseball, like I, I'm like you, you know, like I used to watch Yankees games on Channel Nine growing up, like on free yeah. TV, right? Like yeah. I think starting now, starting last year, there's no free Yankees games anymore. You got to get, you got to pay for something. Um, I, and I think that's part of what the NBA does want something on just broadcast TV, ABC, NBC, wherever that may be eventually down the line. But I don't know how this all ends up. The, the whole thing is you got to pay for it. It's just how many different subscriptions will you have to pay for? Look, I mean, we just saw it, what, a year or two ago uh, with MSG, right? You couldn't even get in some parts of Connecticut and the tri-state area. And that's, if you think about how now you got to go through the MSG app, right? So you can't, you don't get part of your cable package. You know, you got the MSG app. Now we can go watch all your teams, Rangers, Knicks, uh, and so forth. Like, that's just more of a subscription. That, that, that's where I'm just like wondering, like, how much more can you do to this for the app? actual like average day consumer where it's like how many subscriptions do i need man like how many do i need you know yeah. thankfully my mom still got that new york address and i'm like oh yes network for free let's go <laughs> it's a legit question i don't have an answer for you i assume at some point like there's going to be a rebundling some app is going to come around and say hey you can get all your nba games or all your you know college football and college basketball games and baseball won't play like whatever you like right mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we'll be able to put it in one place for you. And then we'll just kind of do a cable bundle, but make it streaming and, you know, put a fancier name on it or whatever. And I assume that'll come somewhere down the line. Someone will create that product. But for now it's a, it's a big headache. It's like, it's, you got to subscribe to like seven different networks. If you're a big sports fan, right? Like if yeah. you want to watch hockey and basketball and college sports, you got to get Peacock and you got to get ESPN plus and you got to get Amazon. You got to get all these things. And it's just kind of where we're at right now. Absolutely, man. And once again, we're talking to Mike Forkinoff, who covers the NBA business beat for The Athletic, uh, formerly of the Knicks beat, man. Salute to everybody in the chat. Hit that like button. Hit that thumbs up button for you boys. Share this video and subscribe to the channel, The NBA Report. And Mike, speaking of the Knicks, your old stomping grounds, man. What did you think about the Knicks offseason and where things are? The state of the Knicks, according to Mike Forkinoff. What do you think, man? Offseason's still going. We're still waiting on that Josh Hart contract, right? That, that yeah. Josh Hart extension. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was good. They added, you know, a good piece with Dante DiVincenzo. I think he's a good player. He's probably not exactly what they need. I thought they needed more shooting, maybe a little bit more size uh, on the perimeter there. Um, but I don't think they had a lot of options to him. I liked Obi Toppin personally. Um mm-hmm. But it's clear, like, there's just no role for him. Mm-hmm. I think Indy's a good landing spot for him where he ended up. But, you know, they're still in this kind of this waiting game, waiting for a star that they can get, um, that they can reasonably land. And I don't know when that's going to hit the market. I don't know if it would be Donovan Mitchell, if, you know, Joel Embiid eventually goes there. Um, but they're still in that kind of purgatory, I think. And so until then, until you can get someone to put alongside Jalen Brunson, you're just kind of trying to make moves on the margins to improve a little bit. And so at least they didn't keep the roster together. It's, it's kind of, I think it's good to have a little bit of change up in the roster from season to season. And so we'll see what happens with Dante DiVincenzo and how much he plays and uh, whether his shooting in Golden State. I think he hit 40% of his threes last year, which is kind of an outlier from his career. Uh, we'll see if that sticks with, uh, with the Knicks. Well, what do you think about, you know, from a salary standpoint, a lot of people like where they are just in terms of obviously with Brunson's deal, you, you compare it to what's going on right now on a decelerating contract. It's an absolute steal based on his his productivity and value to the team. You have Julius in that mid-20s, RJ in that mid-20s. Um, they have Mitchell Robinson at around 10 or 11. Now, 
With DiVincenzo getting about 11, Josh Hart rumored to be getting close to 20. Well, that that's the number we're thinking. Where does that leave quickly, man? Well, what do you think about where things stand with Emmanuel quickly? Because a lot of fans, myself included, just feel like, could he be potentially the odd man out? Because are they going to commit to all these salaries, then give Brunson his 50 in, in two years, which he th- you know he's going to get right. if he's healthy and maintains? Where do you think that leaves quick, man? Well, I mean, I, I think right now his market value is probably around 20 mil a year, right? Um, that's somewhere around next year, probably around like 15% of the cap, somewhere around there. Um, with Brunson, you have your starting point card. So there's not really a pathway then for him to be a starter anymore on the Knicks. So do you want to pay your sixth man, your backup swing guard, that kind of money, especially if you still need help on the perimeter too, right? Like, you know, Josh Hart is nice, but he showed his limitations in the playoffs. Um, you need to get some more shooting around there. You know, RJ Barrett had a pretty good playoffs, but like, I think there's still questions about him long-term. And, uh, you, you know, I, I, I think quickly we'll get his money. I'm not so sure that it'll be in New York uh, a year from now. Just when you look at the roster and the way that the salaries are lining up, like it just might make more sense to see if you can package him uh, for someone else, especially perimeter help, right? Like that's what the Knicks need. They need perimeter help. They need shooters. They need a big shooting wing uh, if they can get that kind of guy. But those are rare. And, and you know, that's saying that, like I like quickly a lot. I thought he was a really good player. Should have been the sixth man of the year. Uh, if it was, you know, my vote, but I don't know. I don't know if you can pay that much money now to a, to a kind of your six man uh, and really be comfortable going forward, especially if you land that star uh, and your salary go, your salary cap uh, needs go up. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers took all the wings, so that's why the you know that's why the pool is so dry. But with quickly, right? Does it? Do you think it makes sense for the Knicks to try to extend him this season to have him on a good contract, to even make him more of a trade chip? Uh, for if they're going to move him at some point, because what we've heard through Slam, he wants to be um, a, a starter in this league. He's compared. He he's not compared himself, but he he looks at Steph Curry as like a role model to like where he wants to get to in the league, being that type of shooter, being that starting caliber player. Wouldn't it just make sense to like give him an extension this summer, and then you have him on the books, and then you find that suitable partner if you know he gets a little disgruntled and wants a larger role. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. 
Twice a week, J.J. Reddick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, if you can sign him to a good contract, for sure. You know, that's the thing is like, what number can you get to uh, with him? You know, like if he can agree to something in that $15 million a year range, which is now just a little bit over the mid-level, I don't know if you're going to have him agree to that. Um, yeah. And, you know, and and after that, you know, if you're getting to around $20 million, then it might be just become an eye of the beholder type of situation, whether it's a, a good contract, a value contract, uh, or not anymore. And then you might just be in a place where you're not able to maximize this trade value. So it's it's kind of a, it's a hard path to walk it. And really maybe his optimal trade value would be somewhere around the trade deadline in February uh, if he's mm-hmm. not signed anymore, because then some other team that would want to avoid him hitting the market and really does like him a lot might want to swoop in back then. And you, you can find a deal that works for you. Uh, it's just tough, man. Yeah. Just watching his development and seeing how important he is and, you know, to for and especially for Knicks fans, like to see like one of your own homegrown talent potentially not be here for like the long haul. I think that's just that's tough to to rattle around, especially you see how important he was last season. Third best player on this team behind Brunson and Randall. And then you're thinking about, you know, they got DiVincenzo on that cheap deal, which is like why you look at that even more. It's like you're going to have DiVincenzo on a mid-level exception type of deal. It's only just saying quickly to, to all of us, it sounds like that he's on the outside looking in. Yeah. I mean, cause when you think about when quickly his deal kicks in, right. His extension, that'll be the last year of Brunson's deal. Cause he's probably going to opt out, get the 50 mil, as you said. Um, so you're, you know, year two of that you're paying Brunson, the real money, the max money, then Randall's still going to be on his deal, which I think is going up. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, you'll have year two of Josh Hart. You'll have DiVincenzo on the books ready. You have Mitchell Robinson. He's declining in terms of his deal. I think Isaiah Hardenstein comes off by then. Grimes. Uh, but you have a number of Grimes you're going to have to pay, right? So um, you're going to have a number of guys already that you're either accounted for or you're going to have to count money for. So it just becomes a little bit harder to fit everyone there. And, uh, you know, I think if you're going to go over the apron, the first apron even, you want to have kind of the majority of your roster accounted for uh, and have your main guys in place because being able to trade guys after that is going to be a lot more difficult because if you're over the the, the first apron – it has to be 100% match for match, match right? Match, so yeah. that becomes a, a lot harder um, 
to make a deal at that point. Uh, absolutely, man. Uh, Bleacher Report said R.J. Barrett was the second most overrated player in the NBA. I was a bit offended by that. They they insulted me a little Who's bit. Who's overrating him? Right. That, that's a big question. That's the big right. question. <laughs> who, who, who's overrating <laughs> RJ? <laughs> Well, but what do you think, man? What do you think? RJ, year five, can he do it? Can he turn the corner and turn the naysayers into true believers? <laughs> uh, to me, he's got to get better defensively. I thought he took probably a step back this past year, right? I think we kind of know what he is as an offensive player at this point. Like, I was always kind of dubious the shot would come around. It still hasn't. Maybe he can get better and more consistent as a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Uh, that becomes his his value as a kind of a – perimeter threat i don't think he'll ever get to that point where he's an off the dribble three-point shooter consistently a good one i mean um and uh you know he's just he's he's really good at attacking the basket straight line drive ball in his hands but um i think the, the defense where he was pretty good in his first few years in the nba like that's where he really needs to get better and i think if he can become a, a really good defender i'm not even talking like all you know defensive team level then you have a really good two-way wing but uh, is he over? I have no idea. I, I kind of just rate him as what he is. I don't know who's overrating him or making him out to be, you know, anything more than he is. But, um, you know, his his deal kicks in. Right. And uh, that becomes, uh, you know, once you hit your second contract, it becomes interesting what the Knicks could do with him and, and just what kind of trades they can use him in, because we already saw that during the Mitchell trade negotiation. Right. And, and so interesting. yeah, get out. Good. It's, it's just so interesting that they even him as such a like an over he between him and julius it's like one of the most polarizing topics uh in Knicks first right it's like you have your rj truthers you have your rj haters you have your julius truthers you have your julius haters it's just it's just so interesting well i just well, julius randall goes back and forth i mean there's yeah. a lot to kind of hit you on both ends of that conversation yeah and, and i i just think ultimately you know these lists will be these lists but from a Knicks standpoint just like they had to choose between Obi and Julius, I think they, there's going to come a time where they're going to have to choose between RJ and Julius as well um, for a lot of reasons. Do they fit together? I think that's highly questionable at this stage in the game. Also, to have two of your players be um, highly inefficient along the perimeter, not as great at the rim, I think that hurts, especially when you factor Mitchell Robinson, who, if it's not squarely under the rim, it's giving you nothing on the perimeter either. You, you, your floor spacing is com compromised. You don't have enough three-point shooting in there. You're looking for Grimes to be more consistent there. Brunson of that starting five is probably your most consistent, most reliable three-point shooter right now, and, and he's on the ball most of the time. So uh, I think they're, they're going to have to really have a, a, a come-to come moment at some point with, with Julius and, and RJ if, uh, if they're not able to uh, help this team turn the corner. Yeah. I mean, at some point, if they want to take the next step, like they have to change the composition, not even just the players, but just the types of players that they got on the floor yeah. in crunch time. And so that means someone has to go um, where you find the solution. That's that's the harder thing. And so hardest I don't know what thing. the answer to that is. Hard, hardest thing. But <laughs> as you said, with these with the DiVincenzo signing, they're kind of just, you know, keep building, keep keep trying to add on and tack on and trying to build on what you did. But I think, Leon, I think they're waiting. They're waiting for that next move whenever it will come. And could it be Philadelphia? There's a lot of talk about what's going on there with Harden and Maury and, you know, Maury screwing Harden out of his long-term deal. But 
you know, Maury, to me, stuck to his guns. I, I didn't think they should have committed to James Harden past, you know, maybe two years. What, what do you think about what's going on in, in Philadelphia and, and how the Harden stuff may, may end? I mean, it's it's at, it's where it's at now because I think Daryl Morey doesn't want to give him a long-term deal, understandably, right? We've seen a lot of slippage from James Harden over the last few years. I wouldn't want to give him a multi-year max level, not even max, just max level contract. And so I understand why Harden, why, why Morey doesn't want to go there. Uh, this is the first time that James Harden, you know, in his career has basically seen people treat him as a declining player, right? Yeah. Treat him as a player who's not a franchise guy anymore. And I'm sure that has to be shocking for him. Like, it's... He's 34, 35, somewhere around there. Like when you've been treated the way he has been during his career because he has been that good. And now you, you kind of see it get uh, another way that has to be shocking for you on a personal level. So I can probably understand why he feels, you know, hurt or insulted or whatever it is. Um, but Daryl Morey also drives a hard bargain. So I can't see him just kind of trading James Harden for nothing and not getting anything out of it. You know, they can if they want to, you know, maintain their flexibility going into next summer, right? Like they can have, max level cap space. I don't think free agency is that great. Yeah. And so they wouldn't even be able to make a move to acquire anyone to their cap space until next July 1st. And so um, they have some pathways, but it's, it's a little difficult right now and you can't just punt on this season because you got to keep Joel Embiid happy. It, it, it's yeah. very interesting because it's like with the Blazers and the Sixers, both of their GMs, Joe Cronin and, and Dow Morey, you know, they kind of have the gun to their head. Well, for a couple di- for for two different reasons, right? For Philly, Maury wants a sizable package where, as you said, he can keep Embiid ma- happy. They can man- maintain their contender window, however it looks, but also still maintain some sort of cap flexibility as Maury wants to do. And then for the for the Blazers, they want enough young pieces, enough young talent to justify trading Damian Lillard ultimately to Miami, man. So it's a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, but I, I'd rather be Joe Cronin in that situation. I think the problem for the 76ers is even if they can placate James Harden and bring him back, he's another year older, so he's probably going to get a little bit you know, worse, right? Like that's just how the Asian curve goes. And where does that leave the upside for the 76ers? We saw them again hit a wall in the second round, and they're getting worse from that team to next year's team if they keep Harden, and they're probably getting worse if they trade him too. So it's, it's a conundrum for them. And I think to add on to that, Mike, is that, you know, the situations that, that from what we've heard, there's not real animosity between uh, the Trailblazers and Dame, right? And Trailblazers are set in that they're looking to rebuild. I mean, you look at how they developed their front office. Um, you look at how the players that they've drafted as well. The writing's been on the wall. It's can you just find a good enough return if you're the Trailblazers for Damian Lillard? Whereas even though you're doing the same thing for James Harden, he opted in. I mean, he could have easily left, gone anywhere he wanted to. He's really created this whole situation himself, which is what makes this whole thing not entirely confusing because I get that he wants his money and he still wants to, you know, be part of a good team. But if you like for him now, because you just you 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 you're now creating uneven ties in Philadelphia. As Daryl Moore, even if you're Daryl Moore, you have to be concerned that if you go into training camp, you go into regular season, you have a guy who's disgruntled because we saw what James Harden did in Houston. At some point, don't you think that Maury has to say, you know what, I got to do what's better for my team, for the locker room to keep us chugging along instead of just holding on to a player who could cause turmoil once again, as we saw in Houston? I mean, I think the big thing going for Daryl Moore in this situation is 
So he opted, James Harden opted in, right? Like that was, I think, his way of saying he couldn't get more money in free agency than he could from the Sixers next year, right? If he wants to get paid again, he has to prove it, right? Like he has to play well next year. He has to show that he's not a declining 35-year-old guy hitting into free agency next summer. So I think that's kind of, to me, if I'm Darren Morey, and now this all just becomes pop psychology to some degree, right? You're trying to think, okay, James Harden has to prove that he can get a big deal when he hits free agency next summer. So that's that's kind of what we're banking on for the 76ers, that he might be pissed at us, but he still wants to play well because he wants to get paid, and the best way to get paid is just to play well. And so, you know, you're it's it's you know it's a gun to both your heads. It's yeah. that scene from The Office where it's just three guys pushing all the, you know, all <laughs> drawing pistols at each other. Uh, it's uncomfortable, but, you know, it just might be the situation if you keep them. Yeah, no question about it. I, I think in both scenarios, they both need a multi-team trade to get exactly what they want out of this. And, and maybe they're both involved. Who knows? We'll, we'll have to see. Um, also in the Athletic, Shams has reported that Siakam could be back on the market. You know, there's been a lot of rumors about Siakam on and off during this past offseason. It, it's fascinating to me in terms of what Ujiri's thinking here because they lost Van Fleet but they brought back Pirtle, who they traded for and, and have always liked, and he's helped the team. Then they bring in Schroeder, but Ujiri is also going on record as saying he has no interest in a play-in type of team. It's either you're going for it or you're just not there yet. And for me, with Toronto, it's just hard to see where they are because they're not good enough to be a real playoff contender, but are they necessarily bad enough if they keep Siakam and Ananobi with that core? What do you think about what's going on in Toronto right now? Honestly, I don't know how to make sense of it. Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how many, how much more they can, how much more talent they can lose for nothing. You know, they over the last four years, roughly, they've lost, I want to say, four All Stars, right, or guys who have been All Stars in career with Kawhi, Marcus, uh Kyle Lowry. They basically lost for nothing instead of trading him at the deadline. They got Precious Achua, but you know, it's a backup center essentially. And, and you obviously lost Fred VanVleet this past summer. Uh, how much more talent can they lose? How much more can that team atrophy and get nothing for it while you're doing it? So maybe they run it back with Siakam, but then if you're obviously not willing to pay him the extension, right? Like that's why it hasn't been signed yet. Right. And then you're not going to be willing to pay him next year when he's a year older. Uh, are you just going to let him leave again for nothing? You know, like what's a, what's the end game uh, for Toronto? So I, I don't know how this is going to all end, but at some point they need to reboot or at least – Make sure they're not losing all-star level players, all NBA level players, just out the door. And you look at and you look at that, and it's just they're right now a play-in team. The way they're constructed, that is a play-in team. So I don't know, like unless you're unless you're selling everybody, like outside of Scotty Barnes, who it seems like that's who they really want to build around. Like I'm not even sure what, what they're going to do with OG and Obi uh, that team mm. because he's been in trade rumors too. That's another. Hey, he's a free agent where, next summer. Yeah, so do you know the guy that walks? Like, and like, if I'm an opposing team and I'm looking at that, I'm like, why would I trade for OG right now unless I really want him in house and try to convince him to sign and stay here? But I'd rather just go after him free agency rather than helping Masai Ujiri uh, get more draft capital. Mike, Mike yeah. who do you think had the best offseason so far? I like what the Pacers did a lot. Me too. Uh, yeah. I like Bruce Brown. I like the OB trade. Uh, James mm. Walker seems like he's good. Uh, you hear that, CP? He likes the OB trade. I, look, I, I like the OB trade for the Pacers. I like the OB trade for the Pacers. Yeah, I, I like it's it. From, oh, I, see him clip the 
Clip this right now, Tia. We are saving this for later. <laughs> what he's, what he's getting a- at, Mike, is that I've been on the record for the last three years saying that the OB pick was a dud for the Knicks, which it turned out to be, as they traded him for, for, for two basketballs and, and a second-round pick. All right, and and, and 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 some soda here. Okay, you, you traded your number eight pick, college basketball player of the year, for two second round picks. It was a bad pickup, bad business, but it happens, right? It's opportunity cost. They signed Julius, and they had a, a conundrum there. But I think it's great for the Pacers. I actually don't disagree with you. I don't disagree. With you. I thought the pick was bad at the time. Yeah, I think I wrote it. I, you know, like aside from the positional fit that he would come in as a backup to your best player, uh, even before we knew Julius was going to be Julius. Um, he was also 22. The history of guys entering the league at 22 lottery picks at 22 is bad, like just bad. And he played really poorly. And then he never got time. Even as when he seemed to be getting better as a player, he never got the time to show that he was a better player. And then, so you obviously couldn't get much for him in a trade. Right. So like it was just handled poorly for three years or yeah. three and a half years, whatever it was. Uh, so the return two second round picks, like you weren't going to do better than that probably. I think I think it'll be good in, in Indy because they play fast. That's when yeah. he's at his best. He's in transition. Like he's a player who needs to play with pace and speed. And I'm sure him and Tyrese Halliburton will be on a bunch of highlight reels, like making nice alley oop dunks together. Um, I'm trying to think who else. You know, Dallas did pretty well. I think. Yeah. In terms of the off season that they had. Yeah. Um, Lakers seem like they had a pretty good off season. I mean, I I don't like all the deals, but I can at least see the logic behind it. Uh, I'm trying to think who else there is. I don't know. Uh, that's, those are the teams that come off the top of my head. Who do you guys like? Yeah, I, I definitely like the Pacers. I even put, you know, even though OKC didn't do anything tr- tremendous, getting Chet back and yeah. adding him to that core who was, was su- super competitive. Giddy took it up another notch. Shea is Shea, just incredible. And, you know, with Jalen Williams, the two Jalens, Jalen Williams as, as the rookie, with the, the wing Jalen Williams was fantastic. I was Wondering how the Knicks passed on a guy like that and punted in in that draft, but I think them getting Chet back and almost competing for a playoff, they 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 are in a good spot this year. Yeah, I'm interested to see what Boston is like next year. Um, you know, obviously Marcus Smart meant so much to them. I it's, I'm kind of just intrigued that they seem to be leaning into the offense and less so the defense, and obviously trying to maximize that. And uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, for them last year and for next year, like less so in the regular season, more so in the playoffs. I, we don't, we haven't seen KP in the playoffs very often, right? Right. Uh, we don't know how that's going to fit. They got three guys now in the front court who are just all injury prone or Al Horford who's both injury prone and like 37 years old or whatever he is. Good players, but not reliably available. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I, those are the teams that come to mind for me. Um, I think Minnesota has been interesting. They still got to re-sign Jalen McDaniels, too. They got yeah. to give him a lot of money when you have a lot of money already committed to Cat and to Gobert and uh, Nas Reed. So we'll see. He gave Nas Reed. Nas Reed. I like Nas Reed a lot. Me, too. I like Nas Reed. Yeah. I think I think he's good. Yeah, Nas Reed. So there's a lot of money there, and I feel like that's another team that's just, like, waiting to make a move uh, probably in a year or so. Yeah, I liked what the Pacers did. Um from including draft standpoint as well. I like what Portland did getting Scoot. I think to have Scoot fall for them, that's just a good place to set them up for, for like a future with a nice up-and-coming player. I also like what Orlando did through the draft, getting someone like Joe Ingles and bringing some veteran presence. I like what Orlando did down there just to help some, you know, get that veteran leadership, more of that in that locker room. I think they need it, especially with the young guys that you have, like Paolo Bonchero. You got Anthony Black down there who looks to be really good. So I like what the – I like him a lot. Yeah, I like, I like what Orlando has going on too. 
Um, I also like what Houston did, you know, even getting someone like Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. I know the contracts, like, especially for Dylan Brooks, are like, whoa, that's a little, uh, it's a little steep for like what he did this past season, especially his playoff performance. But I think to have Ime Odoka there, you, know, uh, you get one of the twins, you have, uh, yeah, Fred Van Vliet, who's now a leader at the point guard position. So you don't got to rely on Jalen Green or, um, or, or who uh, or Porter Jr. down there just trying to like figure out how to run the offense. I think they did a good job as well. Those are just some of the teams I think from like a young up and coming perspective. That's what I like to see. Um, you mentioned Boston. I just I just don't like. Actually, speak. Actually, I like I like what Memphis did because now you get Marcus. Oh Martin. yeah. That that you get rid of Dylan Brooks. I think you're bringing in a better leader. I like what Memphis did, and you also got Derrick Rose over there too. More leadership to help John Morant. I, I like what they did as well. Yeah, Memphis is a good one. I forgot about them. They had a yeah. pretty good offseason. I like getting Marcus Smart over there. He, he seems like a perfect guy for what they need. Yeah, and, and the Lakers too. I just think adding depth for LeBron James and Anthony Davis that that was a solid that was a solid offseason as well. My, yeah, my, I'm still surprised nobody tried to sign Austin Reeves. I don't get that. Yeah, yeah. Who were we talking? This is a mess with them. We were Trevor, talking Trevor, to, Trevor. Yeah, Trevor Lane, uh, Lakers insider, uh, covers the Lakers for Laker Nation. We were asking him about that just last week, and he did mention the Spurs were potentially interested, um, if if only to kind of you know do what Houston tried to do with with Jeremy Lin, give him a crazy contract with like a poison pill that would kind of mess up the Lakers' yeah. books and have them thinking about things, but they never pursued it. But yeah, you're right. Lakers were able to get Austin Reeves for. Probably. What do you, would you consider that in, in under market uh, uh, deal or, or below market? Oh, value? yeah. I, I think if he was unrestricted, he probably gets four for 75, yeah. something like that. Four yeah. for 80, probably. Four right? for 56 with the uh, Lakers, man. That's that's a great deal. Yeah. I mean, you could have just made it harder on them. Just make them pay more in the back end, at least, because you know they're going to match anyway. Right. Just right. A, a spite signing, but they didn't even go that far. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Uh, you, you missed the, the Knicks beat, Mike. You, you've moved over to, to the business side, to the NBA side. Do you, do you miss the Knicks beat and, and slept in the Madison Square Garden every night? <laughs> the team has turned the corner I, since you left, man. Maybe it was you that, that uh, what was the bad Hey, hey my, my my last year was the, the first playoff year under tips. Don't blame me. Ooh, Don't blame me. That's right, man. Mike's saying, CP, you cut it out right there. <laughs> <laughs> No, I like I listen. I like covering the Knicks. It was yeah. uh, really really hard uh, for all the reasons that you can imagine. It was really hard. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of headaches. You know, um, everyone wants to cover the Knicks until you're covering the Knicks. Uh, but I actually I love you know like MSG is amazing. Um, you know, I like the guys that I work with on and beat. I think the one thing that was really cool about covering the Knicks, and um, I don't know how many teams you can say this if you cover them as a reporter, like. When you wrote something about the Knicks, like people read it and they cared, uh, like you know whether it was about Frank Nilakina to Ron That's Baker, right. so right. like you know, I know like so I so Zohive was heavy, man. <laughs> I so hey, oh, hey, yeah. hey, 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 relax over there, relax. <laughs> yeah, that was your guy. Yeah, that was your guy, man. <laughs> so like people cared, and you know, like I was there during some of the darker days, right? Because yeah. the team was pretty bad. Um, and people care nonetheless. And like, I think that's awesome. I think Knicks fans are great for the most part. There's a few loonies, obviously, but every fan base has that. Uh, and so I do miss it in that regard. Like I do miss writing, uh, for people and for a fan base that really care about every word you write. And like, they care about every word that I wrote, that Bondi wrote, that Popper, you know, Mark Berman wrote, yeah. like all those guys. I think that's really cool. Yeah. It's true. You can true. Read about Iggy Brasdakis. Brasdakis. Uh, I remember Absolutely. Iggy. Yeah. 
Made uh, like gets two the million dollars that. for that second rounder. Yep, <laughs> absolutely, man. He, he's going to be playing with another former Nick Mindaugas Kuzminkis with Lithuania. Yeah. Lithuania's got a nice little team, man. And and they've got our guy Rokas Yakubaitis, the uh, the mystery draft pick who's never going to play for the Knicks. But but he's over <laughs> well, there. And, and he doesn't and even play for the Knicks, but we still ask about We're him. We're asking about him every offseason. When is he coming? When is he coming here? So... That that's just us in a nutshell, man. Uh, you mentioned Austin Rivers. Is there another player who who you uh, enjoy covering more than others? Uh, I'm trying to think. Let's see. Mitch Robinson was pretty fun. You know, he like he got he was you could tell he was like really scared and nervous when he first got yeah, there. That first conference, he was just he was out of his realm. But obviously, like he's flourished personality wise. Kuzminskis was good. He was a good dude. Uh, big Broadway buff. Um, he liked the theater when he was here. I'm trying to think. Uh, Julius Randle, for the most part, was pretty good to cover. You know, he obviously his first year in New York was really bad, but he's yeah. always out there. He's always countable. Uh, Derek Rose is with good to cover. Uh, I think those are kind of the guys that you know come off the top of my head. The problem is once the pandemic set in, you know, I didn't get to meet quickly in Toppin yeah. until I was off the beat. Right, like Tibbs never got to meet him in person. Uh, so that made it a lot harder. And obviously the Knicks don't try to make it easy on you to meet player to even just get to know players. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Michael Beasley was, was a fun guy to cover while he was there. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah, but I, I was lucky. Oh, Bobby Portis is a good dude. Okay. I like covering Bobby Portis. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Bobby the picked Knicks, up a technical I, last night in, in the FIBA friendly match. He? So he's in regular season form. Yeah. He's looking great. He's looking good. I don't know if FIBA can find him or not, but I hope he didn't get lose any money for that. <laughs> he was out there pushing the pace too, CB. Don't forget that. He yeah. brought the ball, <laughs> attack and transition. He was he was in his bag last night. <laughs> Bo- Bobby Position was Bobby Portis, like Fizdale always wanted. That's it. That that's it, man. Well, well, Mike, man, we, we definitely appreciate uh all the time you gave us today, man. Great show. Uh, once again, um, just let the fans know where they can find you if you're working on anything upcoming that, that they need to know about. Yeah, I mean, find me on The Athletic. Subscribe there if you haven't. We always got some kind of deal going on. Obviously, still on Twitter. I can't recommend you go on Twitter, but if you go on there, <laughs> find me on there. And uh, now I'm going to try to lay low from the summer. Hit the beach for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's once it, Once the man. season starts, I'll, I'll be writing a little more. That's it, man. Well, we look forward to uh, to more of your pieces, man, and hopefully you'll you'll join us and uh, and keep us abreast of everything going on on the NBA Business Beat, man. Well, great job, and, and thanks again. Yeah, we'll love to. Anytime, guys. All right. Once again, man, that was our guy, Mike Vorkinoff of The Athletic. Go ahead and follow him, man, at Mike Vorkinoff on Twitter and also on The Athletic, man. Does some great stuff there and also formerly of the Knicks Beat, man. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Remember that today's show is also available in audio podcast format, so no reason to miss it. If you miss it on video, you can always catch it on all of the major podcast platforms. And, uh, yeah, that's it, man. For those of you that are Knicks fans, we'll be back on Knicks Fan TV covering uh, FIBA USA Basketball, their friendly matchup as they take on Luka Doncic and Slovenia on Saturday. Uh, the game starts at 3.30. I believe it's on FS1. And then you can tap in on uh, KFTV for post-game live. So, until then, have a great day, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, enjoy it, man. Peace.